boy to hold me in the night with its arms. <laughs> oh god, that music is really bad. <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 got it's got quite a soundtrack. Yeah, uh, alone in the dark, directed by our our good acquaintance Super Bowl. <laughs> I couldn't say friend. Yeah, that's um, hard. Although I gotta, I gotta be honest. I'm, I'm yeah. It, he's starting to have an effect on me. Yeah, I, I, he's more like an infection than a friend. Right. Like normally, if you would sarcastically refer to a running director or, or just entity on a, a movie review show as an old friend, oh look, it's Roger Corman, or, or oh look, it's this particular actor who's been in a lot of bad things. Uh, but but Uberball is more like an old infection. It's mm-hmm. like the t- the toenails grown back in again. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, God, here we go again. Why didn't you just like cut it at the sides and have a massive the base so it doesn't grow back in? But Why at the same time, when one of those things happens to you, like you do develop an odd sort of affection for the deformity that it's causing, right? Because it's a part of you now, and it, it's it becomes just... such a yeah, such an inseparable part of your life. And and so now I. I've seen enough Uva Bull films that I see all of the things that he does that I, you know, normally attribute to just being wrong and now just attribute to Uva. That's a, 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 a fairly philosophical way of looking at it. Um, so before we get cracking with our, uh, our feature, our feature film today, uh, Alone in the Dark... What can you tell me about your experiences with that as a video game series? See, I have a, like... A few episodes back, we did Max Payne, we and, did. and 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 I made the comment about how that game doesn't hold up and is really not fun for me anymore. And people like some people really took offense to that. So this is my Max Payne. Oh wow! In a lot of ways, I Ooh. recognize that Alone in the Dark is really not a good game, uh, particularly by modern I, standards. I, I yeah, I, I found it deeply unpleasant to play the original one. Yeah, I mean, at now I played it in 1993, that and helps. yeah, it helps a lot. And it's it was a you know, this was pre Resident Evil coming along and really defining survival horror as we know it. This is the first stab in the dark, so to speak, at doing that. And yeah, so yeah, you have uh the, like the combat in Resident Evil isn't great. But it's miles ahead of what they were able to accomplish with the engine that they built for yeah, Alone it, in the it, Dark. It resembled a combat system in Resident Evil. Like right. you could look at it and say, "Okay, that's a that's a fight. They are they are engaged in combat." Uh, in in Alone in the Dark, it was it really was hard to tell what anyone was doing, whether it was some sort of dance, a mating ritual. You can never could tell. Well, and this this was also this was more in the adventure game mold, but it they was, yeah. they still put combat in it, and that was not a great choice. And they actually, for whatever reason, they made the inexplicable decision in the second Alone in the Dark game to put in more combat, arguably the weakest aspect of Alone in the Dark. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, we need more of that," and so it was real combat heavy and not a lot of fun. And then the third one scaled it back more towards where it was originally. 
Which um, is um, a kind of irony, isn't it? Because isn't the third one the uh, Wild West one? Yeah. Yeah, There's I think it is. There's a lot less combat in that yeah. one, which I think is a, a sort of irony, because cowboys. Right. You, what guns. do we associate with that? Yeah. Uh, rootin', rootin tootin'. Pardon <laughs> tootin', you know? <laughs> Flip over a table and use it as a shield, and like all the, the poker cards that were on it will go flying. Right. Tinkly Tonkly Piano Man, stop playing his Tinkly Tonkly Piano. But the things that are alone in the dark... just slowly stops wiping a glass... What what got on this? There there were things about Alone in the Dark that were really significant and and really contributed a lot to the development of the genre, like fixed yeah. camera angles, uh, which now are gone. And I kind of lament. Like I mean, don't get me wrong. I like having a controllable camera, and to a certain extent, I think that the fixed camera thing was more a solution to the problem of not being able to make good dynamic cameras. Mm-hmm. But there is something about that that approach to uh, visuals in a game that is like a horror movie in that you're limited by perspective. And I certainly think there's still room in the... I, I swear I played something recently that, that wasn't terrible. It, so it wasn't vaccine. I swear that I played something that had some fixed camera angles recently, and it, uh, or at least quasi-fixed, and it, it worked quite nicely. Um, and then on top of that, the first Alone in the Dark is also a, one of the earlier Lovecraftian horror games, um, you know, of, of which there are countless. Now, and it, it at one point briefly held the license for Call of Cthulhu. Uh, which is held by Chaosium, uh, a publisher of pen and paper products. Uh, and then they, they pulled the license because they determined that the game was too simplistic to, it, it couldn't like match the kind of rules that their role-playing game was based on. And, yeah. and that yeah. got yanked. Yeah. And that, understandably. And, and even still, that's a challenge that... <laughs> good luck with that. So... Um, yeah. Like, you think it's, it's, it's tough to do something like Skyrim? The amount of fucking different armor classes that are in the Call of Cthulhu mythos is ridiculous. It's it's there wouldn't insane. be enough room on a disc. It would take you like five days to download it, just to get Winter Run. Like like the the one thing that's the mythical city of Winter Run in Cthulhu uh, mythos. The, the the one thing that's good about the uh, Call of Cthulhu system is that it's at least percentile based, and it doesn't have a whole bunch of like different dice and crazy math shit but it's anyway philly thorber Bornton, right he was the scariest part of the cthulhu mythos he was billy bob thornton but the opposite of him <laughs> that was the spookiest part of, of lovecraft's work was philly thorber Bornton. <laughs> so yeah i have i have affection for alone in the dark i certainly won't play it now <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I, well what I do is I watch um, I watch Retsupray play it whenever I, I'm feeling nostalgic uh-huh. they did a, a playthrough well they did a, a commentary of someone's long play so someone did a straight long play gameplay of it but then they riffed on it um, you know a la MST 3k and etc uh, and I, I like slow beef and diabetes uh, and so I, I will routinely go back and watch that here and there um, and so I'm 
very familiar, even though I never bothered with 2 and 3, I'm still very familiar with them as games because I've seen all of its bullshit second hand. Wow. Second one was Christmassy. <laughs> yes, uh, Jack in the Dark. <clears throat> and that was that was developed as, uh, during the development of the second Alone in the Dark game. What and, was it called? Uh, Jack in the Dark, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see I, now. I've done that. <laughs> I see now where, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and, and you, play a, you play a child at a toy store, so that really... Uh, <laughs> Oh, that's no, that's no good. <laughs> that's it's not cool. Um, so yeah, this Alone in the Dark movie is based on Alone in the Dark: The New Nightmare, which is the two thousand one revival of the series. Which is the only, uh, yeah, the only one I'm not familiar with. I didn't play it either. I was always curious, and then I heard not good things about it, and then I just didn't play it. Yep, so I never played that one. I did play Alone in the Dark, the 2006, I want to say it was 2006. That was the first review I ever wrote for Destructoid.com, was that oh, game. Oh, well. Yeah. What did you give it? It was not good. Yeah. Um, yeah I, that game had ideas game. that were interesting. I liked yeah, the approach it, to the inventory system. Many of them above its station. Yeah, but it, it was just a mess. Yeah, that was the. I, I started playing it um, in in installments on my YouTube channel back when I tried to do uh, some long format, long play type stuff, um, which I will probably never bother doing again. Uh, but I I, 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 I deliberately concluded it. I didn't just stop doing it. I deliberately concluded that one um, before I finished it, I just got to a point where I was like, this is, it, it, this is too much of a shit circus for me to bother playing anymore. Yeah. And it was ghastly, but you're right. There were elements to it where in the hands of some competent developers, um, because I, some of that had to have just been, some of it was just like messy by design. So yeah. I, I, I can't put it all down to like budget or restraints or anything like that. Some of that stuff was, just designed incredibly poorly um in the hands of better devs yeah there were some ideas there that could have worked the driving was terrible right the the, the driving oh God, was horrendously yes. bad and you had to, to do it at several points in the game and again like like the actual act of driving away from that destruction it was the ground work for something genuinely exciting. And, and uh, that there... was the most frustrating part, was I want to be excited by this. It just handles so poorly, I can't be. And the approach to cars in exterior environments and how you would go into them and then you'd have to figure out how to start them. Like, there'd be a little mini-game puzzle while the enemy's bearing down on you. <laughs> Such a great idea. And actually executed fairly well, but then everything else to do with the car sucks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, anyway. It's, so, it's harder than the puzzle. Yeah, and then I didn't play the one that came out a couple of years ago, the cooperative thing that got this, <laughs> just horrendously savage. <laughs> I did. I yeah. played it longer than I ever want to play any game like that again. I don't, I, I don't like to talk about it sometimes. It's... <laughs> 
It's horrible. Like it made it onto the my my top ten shittiest games of the year list that that year. Uh, Alone in the Dark, Illumination, oh. um, and and that that title is telling because it, it's an Alone in the Dark game where you are never alone because it's a co-op game <laughs> and you're always in the light because that's the only way the enemies take damage is when you light everything the fuck up. Wow, and it's um. Yeah, yeah, it had missing assets in there. There were bits where sound files were clearly missing or placeholder. Um, so it was an unfinished thing. Uh, I want to say so there were some elements that, that that seemed impossible. Like there were some things, that, some objectives that just didn't seem possible. Um, it, it was a truly dreadful game. Truly dreadful. Uh, and it was it came out around the same time Atari, a whole bunch of Atari-owned stuff was just being really dragged through the mud yeah the 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 current zombified form of atari which is owned by something else the the name of which i forget now but the zombie form of atari resurrected a bunch of old games and just annihilated them It, it was really shocking to see some of the stuff they were dredging up and and then just putting back down yeah and and i mean again alone in the dark is not a great series it's i think it's an important one never had a good game yeah i think it's an important one but it's a series of ideas good ideas poorly executed time and again yeah it's influence can can never be denied right you're right when you say it's important um you know in the same way birth of a nation uh, is is oh, influential. Oh, it's let's not fun. compare a load of the dark to no. birth of the nation. Jesus, actually, wait. Okay, maybe maybe the movie Alone in the Dark can be compared to Birth of the Nation. Should we talk about it? Yeah, we should. We should talk about it. Yeah, because I'm gonna cut out most of that, but just leave in the bit where you said that this movie is like Birth of the Nation. <laughs> <laughs> We begin with, you guessed it, narrative exposition. Hey! Hello, darkness, my old friend. Uh, It's been a while. Fitting. Fitting you would say that because it is just text, white text over black background. It is. Now, to give the movie some credit, I felt that this bit where it's nothing but scrolling text and some really badly acted voiceover i thought that was incredibly representative of the first alone in the dark Uh, because the amount of books you pick up in that game and and they're read out they're narrated by different voices of varying degrees of bad fucking acting Uh, it's very evocative very evocative indeed of the uh, the Alone in the Dark series in that, that regard. That shit was so hot in 1992, though. <laughs> hey, notes of all kinds. Like, not all <laughs> of them read out like Alone yeah. in the Dark so arrogantly decided we needed. Um, but, of course, that inspired, undoubtedly, the amount of files and diary entries and things you see in Resident Evil, which evolved as far as the... the uh, uh, tape recorders in Bioshock and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, these these world-building log things. I still think are, are wonderful parts of games. Yep. Uh, and, and, and that's what I think about video games. So uh, this, this is a, it's a very, very long... Like, it is a full minute 
Yeah, 60 hot, hot seconds, friends. Um, a, a very, very fluent English-speaking person with a clearly German accent. So this is probably somebody that Uva just found at last minute to chuck in. Yeah, and an absolutely fluent speaker, absolutely atrocious actor. <laughs> uh, so I'm not, I, I didn't, put the whole thing out because that's pointless but this these are the things that the film apparently needs to establish before we start that it was necessary to say these things yeah there was once a race of indigenous americans called the abkhani they believed the world had two parts light and dark and opened a gate to the dark world something came through and then the abkhani disappeared leaving only a few artifacts a government paranormal investigation unit was formed to research their lost civilization. When the head of this unit, an archaeologist named Lionel Hudgens, gets his funding pulled because he's crazy, he built a lab in a gold mine and did experiments on orphans to merge people with creatures. The orphans survived as quote-unquote sleepers. <laughs> Here's the... I forgot, I forgot that the paranormal military unit had been announced in the intro crawl by the time they were revealed in the movie every plot point or every like all, all of this gets established in the movie too yeah so. everything's explained it would be like if blade i'll use blade because deacon frost is in this movie <laughs> right I, i'll use blade as an example right it would be if blade had begun with right I'm Blade. I'm played by Wesley Snipes. Hello. Um, I am a, a vampire, right? But half vampire. They call me like Daywalker and shit, right? It's no big deal. Um, I've got like all the strengths of the vampire and um, you know, not really the weaknesses because I'm pretty cool. Uh, and I can't exactly remember how Blade went. But anyway, it doesn't matter because here's Whistler. And this is all going on in the intro over black uh, screen with white text, yes. right? Anyway, here's Whistler, right? <laughs> he looks after me. He's a human, but he's cool, bro, right? He uh, looks after me and gives me guns or something. And also uh, has like gives me syringes and shit because of something I need that I've forgotten about. Uh, but also, Deacon Frost is a young vampire and uh, hates the older vampires who are like, oh, oh, we're all like new blood. And and he's going to do some stuff to, <laughs> to be angry about that. Uh, and that's basically how that's going to wrap up. And at the end of the film, I'm going to say, man, some people are always trying to do a roller skates. And that's the, the film. Yeah. And we're going to usher in like, like we're going to really define... Um, a, a lot of sort of comic book movie hero stuff, and people aren't really going to give us the credit for it. And now here's eighty minutes of that. The club. Yeah, yeah. And then the whole film plays out as normal. So, a boy is shown running through the woods, pursuing. How much of Blade did I get right? Seventy uh, percent. Yeah, more or less. I mean, passing grades. Yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty close. I mean, it's the Deacon Frost wanting to do a ritual thing could have been. Yeah, but. But other than he that, turned into CGI. Right. Yeah, CGI vampire. That was his ritual. Yeah, he, he well he became be a CGI vampire. Well, he was he became vampire on a molecular level, you see. Yeah. <laughs> uh so the uh 
This kid's running Although through... they found some like screen grab of Bill Nye several seasons ago saying that's impossible, <laughs> even though he said now that it is. But then it turned out that they made that up, so... <laughs> so this boy's running through the woods. He's being pursued by men with dogs. And we're told it's 22 years ago. And Fucking hell, that's so long ago. And then we see, uh, we're shown a man arguing with a nun about orphans being taken for use in an experiment. Basically telling the nun to just go along with it because it's too late to do anything anyway. Yeah. But there's a problem. One of the kids is missing and apparently hiding in an electrical substation. Weird. Like that. Well, I mean, it's the last place you'd look for a kid. What's more, what would be more interesting to a kid, right? The Toys R Us <laughs> down the street from the orphanage that well, they built there deliberately to taunt the kids, right? Or the electrical storage room, the scientifically proven the most boring place to a child. More boring than a shoe store that your mum forces you to go to. Well, clearly, you know, this child didn't get to grow up with the same kind of public service announcements you did. Oh, yeah, because he does go to the Toys R Us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so Christian Slater wakes up on an airplane. That idiot. And there's a kid sitting next to him that, you know, comments on, you know, asks if he'd had a nightmare. And then his mommy told him not to be afraid of the dark. And then he scares the hell out of the kid by saying being afraid of the, of the dark is like necessary for our survival. And that's that scene over. That's that entire scene. <laughs> that's it. And I tell you what, right? One of the most memorable scenes to me, right, um, in, in, in a film was the movie Hannibal. Mm, okay. When at the end of Hannibal, in a similar style uh, to to this movie, um, a child is talking to one of the main characters. In this case, Hannibal Lecter, played by the inimitable Anthony Hopkins, uh, and he's eating from that that lunch. And it's clear he's eating person. Uh, and anyway, I won't spoil too much because it was kind of <laughs> near the end, uh, and it's a famous scene. Uh, well, I always thought it was, it was, it always felt famous to me just because it stuck with me so long. I don't know how well that, that scene lasted. I don't know how well Hannibal's regarded by cinema history. I just, I just love Hannibal, um, the, the movie. Uh, I've seen some of this series. But anyway, point is, is that scene in Alone in the Dark has replaced that <laughs> as my favourite man talking to a child scene in, in movies. And this is in Slater's slightly round-faced phase. Yeah. He seems sweaty throughout this. <laughs> like, he always uh, seems swarthy. The, the trouble with him is I, I just... There are so few things I buy him as. <laughs> I don't know what it is about him, but there are so few things I, I, he, I he, find He is walking in. ironic detachment. That's his problem. Like, I don't believe he's invested in anything he's doing. I'd believe him if he played, like, um, someone who does nothing. <laughs> Like, if he played someone who just worked a normal job, like, it doesn't have to be anything, like, like demeaning or, or anything, uh, like... He, a like line, he could a, a telephone line operator. Telephone line operator, yeah, work telesales, he could be a cab driver, he could be a teacher, um, he could be a scientist, but not, like, the scientist making important discoveries. Uh, he could just be, like, a, like a, a lab tech. Like a guy who's just there to pass some vials. A cable TV installer. 
Yeah, yeah. I just think he's he's not. I I don't. The only time I've ever liked him was um, a movie called Churchill: The Hollywood Years, which is a little-known film, but is fucking genius, and I urge anybody to watch it. Um, it it's it, it's got Christian Slater playing Winston Churchill, and it's the only time I've bought it. Wow. Because of how much you're not supposed to buy it. <laughs> it's genius casting. It's the best it's the best way Christian Slater has ever been cast. And and I'm not joking, like the movie is is amazing satire of how Hollywood represents history. Uh, so if anybody can ever it's hard to find like I I I can't get it on Amazon. Not in this country anyway. It might be region based um but i can't find any way to get it uh digitally anyway i may have to just order a dvd or something but but find a way to 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 watch it because it's it's fucking great that sounds awesome yeah yeah i I will watch that i think you would love it i think you would really like it cut to a boat somewhere else in the ocean oh god yeah we're talking about this one aren't we a man on the phone says Carnby has an artifact, which is to be taken from him at the airport, and then he's to be killed. You're going to kill him. And so as Carnby, who is Christian Slater, apparently, leaves yeah. the airport, we get... Can we just call him Christian Slater? Because he's not fucking... He's, he's If he's a can't be anything, he's a you can't be serious with this shit, Christian. <laughs> I'm going call- to start calling him Slater. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, remind me to do that great joke yep. later. Yep, i got a great joke. You're going to get lots of opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but here, you know, because the third-party, unconnected individual providing narration at the beginning of the film wasn't enough voiceover narration <laughs> for Uva Ball, Christian Slater also provides his own voiceover narration Throughout yep. the film, starting now. Do you think that the opening text crawl was also supposed to be read by Christian Slater, but Uberball forgot on the day when they were recording? I and, and then just got a, a guy. I I just I struggle to understand why that opening text crawl was even necessary in the first place. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, it just seems so unnecessary. Yeah. I, then again, I mean. These aren't films so much as fucking tax write-offs, are they? Like yeah. maybe you just needed to pay a guy just to get get some expenses done. Twenty million dollar production, this one. There we go. Like five million of it was the fee for that random man at the beginning to show up and read for a minute. So in this voiceover, uh, Slater establishes uh, that he's actually the good guy in this movie, despite the fact that he just deliberately scared a child. <laughs> uh, and as he gets into the cab... Your mother's a liar and you're going to die in the dark. I'm your hero, kids. I don't know why I sound like this. He gets in, into a cab, continues to voice over that he lost his memory at the age of 10. <laughs> Fucking idiot. Because something happened at the orphanage he was raised in. And so, you know, piecing that together has been a bit of a hobby. Uh, and a man who is very mad at him... <laughs> 
that's what he says in the film as well. It's like, I'm Christian Slater, and Maddie's very mad at me. Like, it's, it's like you, the camera pans back after Christian Slater leaves, and it gets to another cab, and the guy behind the wheel of this cab is just furious. Mm-hmm. Like, not, not like the cold killer that you would expect of someone who'd received an order to take something from someone and then kill them? <laughs> it's personal. <laughs> I don't think... I don't think it was about the, the 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 killing. I think it was about him being stiffed on a cab ride. Like he he was like, "I'm here as well." <laughs> Why did you go with Fletcher? Uh, speaking of our cabbie driving Christian Slater around, uh, it is it is Brendan Fletcher. Brendan Fletcher, Doctor Podcast, because <laughs> we found out last time we talked about him, he has some sort of doctor thing. And does a podcast. Yeah. It's not a funny podcast or anything. But who knew? I I was hoping it would be like entertaining and stuff, but it's like health and stuff. Uh, so he tries to make conversation while Slater fiddles with he an artifact. tweets about health. <laughs> like, like, imagine that. Like, like, like he's, he's dined. <laughs> he's dined at the bed of kings. <laughs> and, and all he wants to talk about is, is, oh, I'm a doctor arrogant man like sh- share with us let us reflect in the limelight slater reveals to the cabbie that he's a paranormal investigator and then notes hey we're being followed by another cab this leads to a chase that winds up in a market where carnby's cab is t-boned uh but the pursuer pursuer then disappears in fact he's climbed onto a neighboring building to obtain the element of surprise I should also point out, right, all of this is filmed with the kind of camera and filtering that makes it look like a daytime TV drama. It does. Like, at best, like a murder she wrote or or diagnosis murder. And it's worst some of the indoor scenes with the way the furnishings are done. It's like you're watching, like, a soap opera, like Days of Our Lives, or, or if that was one. I don't know if that was one. Yeah. Or, or Sons and Daughters. I know Sons and Daughters was one. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah, $20 million budget. <laughs> Want to reiterate yeah. that. Uh, so not a small chunk of change. Not, you know, like some enormous budget, but that was 2005, too. And so... You could do a fair bit with that. Yeah. And and, and think when think you see how cheap it looks is the thing. Think, think of gym positions and, and gym pressions back when they were called squirty plays from like 2014. And and the, the, the microphone I was using around that time. Right? And the voiceover bits when Christian Slate is doing one of his many voiceovers. It's about that quality. Yeah. It's a severe dip in audio quality. And and beyond that, like when we get into some of the special effects stuff later. Oh God, don't get me started. So yeah, like oh, the the way it cheaps out and how obviously cheap it is is just a, it's astounding. Um, yeah. And and it doesn't it doesn't even have like the crappy costumes of House of the Dead. No, no, it's all charmless cartoons. Yeah. Uh. So. Bad guy gets kicked through a store window, and Slater flees, so bad guy chases him to another building, and then jumps through its window to beat up Carnby. It's very odd. Uh, is This this is the uh, the bald fellow with the glasses, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he looks like, and he's kind of dressed like Walter White. A little bit. Um, 
he's wearing he's he's bald. He's got the goatee. He's got Heisenberg glasses on, and he's wearing a kind of Walter White jacket and everything. Well, yeah, and, yeah, and in and when in he jumps mind, through the to, window, he screams, "I am the one who knocks." Yeah, he does do that. Um, I found it a lot more entertaining to imagine that this was uh, like an outtake of Breaking Bad <laughs> after Walter White had like taken some of his own meth. <laughs> like he, the one time Walter White got high on his own supply, and if you just squint enough to try and pretend that Christian Slater is Jesse, it it's a great scene. So- Other than that, it's it's notable only for the fact that the uh, first fight of the movie has them surrounded by people in the daylight in this film called Alone in the Dark. Okay, now, see, this is funny that you... Like, this Breaking Bad connection that you've now drawn is fascinating because the name of this character is later revealed to be Pinkerton. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Because... You just blown this whole thing wide open, sir. Lanky Pinkerton played Heisenberg in Breaking Bad. <laughs> so, um, anyway, the bad guy briefly gets the artifact. From- By the way, listeners, right, I, I know that Brian Kress, right, I, he played uh, Walter White. I'm specifically talking about Heisenberg, the alter ego who was played by Lanky Pinkerton in the show. I know there's a difference between the two characters, for God's sake. Carnby snatches someone the bringing me up on that, Conrad. You know what they're like. Back and more. They're f- really annoying the way they go on and on and on about things. More fighting and fleeing happens, uh, and Carnby like just grabs a gun from a cop's holster in passing. <laughs> <laughs> He's allowed to do that. Like that just happens. That's fine. Uh, and. And then he tries shooting the bad guy through blocks of ice in the market. This is... Oh, this bit's so cool. This is the the uh, best special effect of the entire goddamn movie, too. Which I busted a nut. Low bar, because it's not that great. It's not that good. But they do this CGI, you know, like the bullet comes out of the chamber, and he fires two bullets in succession, and one breaks through a solid block of ice and then the second bullet follows and goes into the you know guy and i mean not for nothing but i think chances are the first bullet probably would have gone into the guy too like why did the first bullet disappear (laughs) where did the first bullet go well it just went through a block of fucking ice yeah the people working on this film don't seem to know how bullets because (laughs) Because they do seem to think that when a bullet hits something, it it evaporates, <laughs> L- like a like a like an actual video game. The bullets disappear on contact; they cease to exist, and only the damage remains. So the first bullet, like a bee sting, sacrificed itself for the ice block, so the other one could go through, and you know create a hole, an empty hole, through the other guy, and then disappear. So the guy takes the bullet to the chest, and this just makes him angry. And then there's more fighting, yeah. and he's ultimately defeated. Because if you want to, like, you want to waste your best special effect on something that ultimately has no consequence. Right. That's that's key. It's clutch. Yeah. Um, well, you're, you're you're really shit. <laughs> like he is. Like let's just be, let's let's yep. put our let's put our cards on the table. We're both shit at this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, oh man. Okay, so there's. I read. I was reading the Wikipedia for this movie, 
And mm-hmm. the writer of the the original writer of the script uh, said, I had written this thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, he was saying, and I'm sure what he wrote probably wasn't like amazing, you know. Yeah. But his point was that a whole bunch of action stuff, you know, and, and other like tropey stuff was shoved into it after he, you know, after Bowl and his script doctors got to work on it. And this is the result, right? And so he's like, oh, you know, it's one of those typical, oh, if they'd gone with my script, it would have been a better movie kinds of things. But if this is true, what the fuck? Because there is so much, like, downtime in this movie where nothing happens. How did you do that? How did you try to punch it up with more action and still wind up with a movie where nothing happens? Because this combat just—it's—it's it's that bowl magic, baby. Moving on to archaeologist Tara Reed. <laughs> oh, remind me later. I got a great joke coming up about Tara. Reed. Right, right. Uh, she accepts a delivery at her museum meant for Doctor Hudgens, um, who, because we had that opening crawl, we know is the bad guy. Yes, we we know that. He's quite bad. But we're going to continue to suspend the opportunity that he's not the bad guy. (laughs) A very realistically well-informed security guard explains for the audience again what the Abkhani are, identifies Tara Reeds as Dr. Hudgens' assistant, establishes that Hudgens is the guy on the boat ordering killings, a few days before a major exhibit of his discoveries, and indicates that Tara Reed has boyfriend issues that this job probably helps her to ignore. Yeah, at this point, <laughs> it's got the exposition rate of an episode of Dark Place. This is, yes, this, yes, that's what this that's dialogue what, this exchange is. is. Yeah. This is a Dark Place dialogue exchange designed to create character exposition for archaeologist Tara Reed. Back on the boat, Hudgens and the ship's captain watch as a big box is pulled on board, and the captain warns about disturbing shipwrecks, which... And can we just point out that the captain seems to quite literally be a fucking pirate? <laughs> he really does. Like, he's a pirate like dressed like the Gordon's to... fisherman. Yeah, yeah. They. <laughs> it was like Uwe Boll doesn't know enough about, like, ocean stereotypes to to get them consistent so it's like he knew something about fishermen he knew something about pirates so we've got a like a comical cartoon fisherman character with a comical cartoon pirate voice who is not the character himself is not supposed to be comical there's nothing comical about the character No, no, it's just really badly, overly done, piratey t- kind of voice. Like, he's not even saying pirate words. No. But it is just... No, he like, just looks swarthy. I want this now. He, he looks swarthy. Well, and he's... Well, no, but he's... He's got he's this, like, like, overacted growl and this kind of drunken, like, the way he moves his head. And it, But at this... It's like, oh, the treasure's mine. At, but at this point in it, he is, like, superstitiously warning about, you know, the bad juju of disturbing shipwrecks. Right? Oh, that's right, yes. Right? Because, it yeah, he, he becomes does a different character later when the plot <laughs> right. needs him to be different, yeah. So, cut to whatever city... 
Christian Slater's in. I, I think I think he's in San Francisco, but I really don't know. Yeah. Uh, but he senses evil somewhere in a completely pointless outdoor scene before going home to his warehouse lot. This one minute does not need to exist in the film for any reason. It could have just picked up with him coming into his apartment. Let's be fair, though, that could apply to this entire film. None of this needed to happen. But for the purposes of, of doing of, of doing the job that this is trying to do. I mean, no, no, I do, I, I do get your point. He listens to a message on his machine from someone complaining that he knows, someone he knows that we don't yeah. know about, complaining about having nightmares and, you know, needing to know if, you know, are, are you getting them too? Uh, he examines his artifacts some more. And it's a gold-like ringed puzzle thing with writing. This is where I struggle to buy him as as the character. Like I buy him sitting on a plane, ruining kids' <laughs> lives, and I buy him being driven away from trouble. I can't buy him studying artifacts. I look at Christian Slater, and I'm like, come on, like you don't study artifacts. He, you sit and scratch your balls. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Can you imagine? Casting Christian Slater in the role of Nathan Drake in the Uncharted movie. <laughs> the sad thing is I can, but not in any kind of way that's good. It's like I can imagine him doing a, a perfectly Slater job of Nathan yes. Drake. Like he'd get he'd get it done. It would just be like like come on, like like no, then it's it's it would be it's it's almost like Christian it would be somehow okay and wrong at the same time. Christian somehow Slater, okay very wrong. Christian Slater is the everyman Kingsley. Yeah, you just plug him in. He doesn't seem to give a shit at any point in it. But you know he's younger and he's he's more adaptable to just being a generic white bread guy. Yeah, he's just a man. <sighs> On the boat, the dredged up box is examined. Uh, now, Hudgens says not to open it here. He wants to do it, you know, in some secure location you know, under a controlled environment. But the captain, upon observing that the box is made of solid gold, which Hudgens, Hudgens helpfully points out that ancient people believed gold would contain evil spirits... The captain decides to forget his earlier superstition altogether and take whatever's inside it for himself. Because he is a a pirate dressed as a legitimate... Well, a legitimate... Dressed as a Halloween fisherman uh, and and therefore has, you know, the the heart of of a skull-wearing brigand. Hudgens is locked in the hold of the ship and the box is opened and bad shit happens to the crew that we're not shown. We just hear lots of screaming. Um, That's terrible. And when this happens, Carnby feels it. Christian Slater gets a headache or something. Uh, And we're showed other people around the world sensing something and then mindlessly leaving whatever they were doing to wander off in response to it. Yes, a lot of it acted as if to say... uh... Like, oh, I've left something in the car. Yeah. <laughs> Although one woman doing the the dishes, like she's she could have been in paranormal activity the way she just like 
jerks up and steps out. Yeah, she just I was like, switched shit, on. Toby's gotten to her. Yeah, she just switched on. That was good. The, the guy, the guy put the video working in the video store. I love him because he snaps too, but then continues putting videos on the shelf until his hands are empty <laughs> before turning to leave. I mean, considering you know the job he had, that is some dedication. Well, you know, maybe it's a commentary on mindless drone jobs that this didn't affect the programming instilled by the job. (laughs) Either that, or it was an accidental expose of a mindless drone working on an Uber That They're all like that. Uh, Tara Reid even senses something's up. And I'm not sure why we cut to her for that, but okay. Um, Hudgens escapes the hold once the noise dies down outside on the boat and inspects the box and then opens a secret compartment inside the box containing another small artifact. This is some complex shit. Uh, And then he takes that and then disembarks. Uh, At the headquarters of Paranormal Investigation Group uh, Bureau 713... Stephen Dorff, who is is in my in my, in my mind very much like Christian Slater, they the two are interchangeable, and so it's so magical to see them together in the same film. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of like like you're worried if they touch each other, they'll just kind of like start to merge. Like, like... they'll they'll create the singularity, and the entire universe will begin to unravel. Either that or they'll just slap together like claymation. It's like, like, uh. They'll just gloop into one. Uh, I, I, I want to say, uh, oh, it's like Time Cop. You ever see Time Cop? It's a Jean Claude Van Damme film where he is. I, don't, I know enough about it. Time Cop, and, and if you touch yourself in the past, you like. You merge together and die horribly. Yeah. That might be it, yeah. That's why they never touch in this film. <laughs> I don't. I can't remember if they never touch him. It doesn't matter. No one knows. No one remembers. Oh, they have a scuffle in this. Uh, I could make up anything about this film. At one point, Christian Slater let slip a racial slur, and I think it was accidental, and they kept it in. No, that is a lie. Don't sue <laughs> Christian Slater. I, he's not a racist, as far as I know. So Stephen Dorff is told about strange electromagnetic disturbances that have been detected by the group, and Tara. Because he's an idiot. Tara Reed. Gets a call from Hudgens, who chastises her for having opened his mail when she was just trying to be helpful. Um, Slater gets awakened from a nightmare by a call from a woman who says her husband, a childhood friend of his named John, went missing in the night. Uh, and in voiceover, Slater explains that according to legend, when the Abkani opened the gate, some humans survived by joining with the creatures, gaining power but losing their humanity. And he surmises that the dude who attacked him must have been like that, and that it's happening to his friend and the others, despite only really knowing about his friend at this point. <laughs> Carnby promises his friend's wife that he'll find her husband, which, in fairness, he does come through. Credit where credit's due. That, that does happen. So, good for him. Um, yeah, good for him. So Slater calls his contact at uh, Bureau 713, where we now learn he used to work, uh, trying to get some information on his missing friend. 
and then he goes back to the orphanage where he was raised and is greeted by the nun there. And he tells her about the disappearance. And she says, oh, it's happening again. And he asks her to help locate the others. And then we get fucking more voiceover. I swear to... It's been a while since we've had some voiceover in this film. You know what? We needed some voiceover to let us know what was going on. It was at this point, because at this point... I'll be honest. um, For a lot of this film, I was browsing Fangamer. Uh, because they had some fl- uh, first I saw uh, a handsome looking flint hook shirt uh, oh thought, man well, oh get, god Ooh, the flint oh, hook flint is hook so good, good. Right? yes Ooh, mm, oh. that's tasty I am I am I I am so gonna get 22,000 points on that first run Ooh. I keep edging up bit by bit like you know I get 500 more points and then I have a few rounds where I don't break my score and then I get another few hundred points and oh I'm gonna get that game is awesome it's fucking tight it's tight yeah very very it's, happy with it it's it's a oh oh i've not even gotten around to reviewing it yet like because i'm bad at it and and i'm trying to get through it while also juggling a bunch of other stuff but i'm looking forward to find i, I, I managed to get a video up i cobbled together enough usable footage uh, but oh god what a good what a great fucking game that is and i was more interested in getting accessories of, for that than I was in watching this, but there are so many voiceovers that you get caught up with the plot. Yeah. It's almost like Uwe Boll knew people would be doing other things. <laughs> it's like he knew this film was boring, so it's like, oh, about this time I better let him know that uh, everything that has happened has happened. <laughs> Which happens. We get told everything well, yeah, again. Yeah, because he now, he now reveals that he worked at the Bureau specifically so that he could investigate the Abkhani as part of his interest in his amnesia, although the amnesia is never brought up again. And how effective was this amnesia? Like, what what does he not remember? Like, the, the effect of this amnesia is really... Why, why did he have to be amnesiac? I, I, yeah. But anyway, the artifacts were always classified whenever they were found, and so that stymied his, his work on his side hustle. So he quit, and he goes and meets with a guy he calls Fish, who is the head of Bureau 713's medical unit. And Fish tells Carnby that the three people he asked about all went missing the night before, wandering off on foot with no possessions, and that they all lived in Slater's orphanage. And so Slater goes to the museum where Tara Reed's all excited to see him, gives him this big hug. And then... Oh, remind me, right? Oh, right, Everyone, yeah. I've, I've got this fantastic right. yeah. joke. Yeah. I'm glad you said something because I, I was liable to forget. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, there's this great joke. It's... And it's the same one I mentioned earlier in the show. Right. Um, involving Tara Reed, and it is a stone-cold killer. And then she, she slaps him because he ghosted her. For a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, and, and then he shows her the artifact that he's been carrying around. And they I know- forgot she slapped him. Yeah. 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 Yeah, she did. And uh, and they know that all of these artifacts that have been collected come from distant places as if they were deliberately being kept apart. Huh. And then the lights go out in the museum. And the very well-informed security guard from earlier uh, is off investigating on his own while Slater and Tara Reid look together. 
and the security guard predictably is fucked, um, and a creature thing attacks him from behind, uh, and then it becomes invisible. So that's what these things do. They're sneaky and invisible. Fun. Uh, Slater and Tara find the body, and then they get chased by the monster, which seems to be a pretty incredible distance behind them for as fast as they're running. Like there are these. Yeah, uh, like with most things, they are as far away as they need to be for any given moment well, for the film's desires. They they showed the scene of them like seeing the thing turn invisible to chase them, right? And they turn and, and they run through a set. And then it cuts to them in a hallway, right? Briefly. And they run to a door. And then it cuts to the scene, the set that they'd run through prior. And it's, you know, got a bunch of glass displays and shit. And then we see them invisibly break because the monster's charging through. And then we cut to them in the room with the door. And they spend a few seconds, like, securing that door. And then we get the hallway shot. Of the invisible monster coming to the door. So, like, there's a big gap of time. Like, it's not, it's so poorly timed out that it feels like they could have walked. <laughs> yeah. And it would have been fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they hide in this God, closet. This film is just oblivion. This film is oblivion. And, and th- it, they're hiding in this closet, but the monster tries to break through and starts punching a hole through the door, and Carnby shoots back at it through the hole that's created. And then the museum's skylight windows shatter as Bureau 713 arrives on the scene. And I, I must admit, I burst out laughing at this bit. I, I was... I, it was one of two moments I was genuinely enjoying myself watching. This. It's just like out of crazy out of nowhere, full paramilitary shit. Uh, and the music, oh. it just suddenly goes in with the... <laughs> Bull loves his metal during his on. shooty scenes. Um, oh, God. He, oh. And, and so the threat gets eliminated with lots of gunfire. Uh, and then Steven Dorff appears on the scene and gives Slater shit for needing to be rescued. And Slater demands to know what 713 knows about these creatures. And... Dorf tells him to fuck off, so they have this brief scuffle before Slater gets shown the door. But clever Christian Slater, that, host, Ooh, that, that, a cheeky one. that scuffle was a, a, a ruse to steal Steven Dorf's keycard. Uh, and that he and Tara Reed meet up outside and agree to pursue different lines of investigation. She's going to go back into the place where the monsters were just running around to do some research digging on the artifact scan that she made. What? Good on her. Okay. Seems dumb, but okay. And Well, they needed her to do something. And he's gonna go track down his missing peeps. So Slater goes to Bureau 713 using the key card, and he sees Fish, who's working on a corpse that turns out what a staggering coincidence. This turns out to be the guy that Christian Slater killed in the market. And he's identified as a former uh, Bureau 713 agent named James Pinkerton. Oh, fuck. And he has a strange centipede-like thing that's attached to his spinal column. I wish he'd went out to meet Fish with a PH. <laughs> that would have been a better film. Uh, I don't know. It would have felt just as dragged out, wouldn't it? Yeah. That's that's a little that's a little fish humor. 
Yeah. Um, There's something fishy about your gags, sir. Oh. <laughs> so Pinkerton had this, this strange centipede-like thing attached to his spinal column that got yeah. severed and killed, and that's why he died instead of the bullets killing him. And then, you know, a scanner starts going off, detecting... You know, something similar to the centipede thing, and, and we find out, oh, the signal's coming from inside Christian Slater. Uh, at the museum... <laughs> the call was coming, coming from inside. inside the Christian Slater! Yes. Uh, at the museum, Hudgens shows up and talks to Tara Reed, and he apologizes for having a bit of, like, a total dick to her about opening his mail but then sees what she's working on, an image of that artifact that Cardin B had found, and demands to know where it is. Uh, and then they're interrupted by a... Oh, 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 hmm? oh, oh. I'll tell you what, with her performance in this film, it's more like Tara reading from the auto-cue. Oh! <laughs> oh! Oh! That was... You're right, that was worth the wait. That that was, uh, I'm glad that this was the point at which you decided to do that because I think I think we just reached the right amount of build up for it. Yeah, I mean, I could have held on to it for a little longer. Yeah. I was wondering whether I should, but I, I I thought, you know what, we can drop this now. I think the audience is ready for it. The audience is hungry for it. I thought, you know what, I've got a grade A joke submarine and I'm going to deploy now up periscope please because we've got some laughs to spot on an <laughs> island so their awkward conversation is interrupted by a bureau agent who wants Hudgens for something because he's a consultant for sex them. he wants he wants Hudgens for sex okay alright so he's a consultant for them now the 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 crawl at the beginning told me he was fired by them. The movie forgot. And and now you're now you're telling me this as if and and the, like them telling me this in this way is like, oh well, this is the first exposure you're gonna find out that he has a connection to this organization, right? Mm-hmm. Something that gets borne out by later plot developments. That opening crawl not only, like... Like, it completely destroys this movie. I know. (laughs) It forgets. The movie forgot. It forgot it explained all this and had to... And and had to come up with new stuff. (laughs) You can't just... (laughs) It's not like a medieval play. (laughs) You can't do a poem at the beginning and tell us it'll end in tragedy. (laughs) So as Hutchins is leaving with the bureau person, Tara Reed asks if he found the Erebus, the thing he was off there looking for. But he lies and says it was just an empty shipwreck. Cut back to the bureau headquarters and Fish examining Christian Slater and finding he has one of these centipedes things in him too. But the symbiosis is incomplete. And Carnby, who... You know, clearly a medical doctor with a lot of knowledge of these creatures. Uh, and again, remember, it's Christian fucking Slater. Reasoning that it may have been killed when he was electrocuted as a child. Now, was this before or after you got the amnesia? <laughs> you fucking liar, can't be. Uh, 
and he asks if Fish can remove the thing, but uh, he expresses concern that this could paralyze him. So, I guess, I guess he has superpowers. <laughs> I I think that's like he. He doesn't. He's not particularly acrobatic in this movie. No, I didn't really pick up anything special about him at all. Because uh, it's Christian Slater. <laughs> but I guess I guess this thing's supposed to give superpowers. And th- well, he did to the the guy that attacked uh, Christian Slater. And so was that like because the symbiosis was complete, and so the only thing he gets is the shitty like, hey. <laughs> Yeah, you know, is he 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 gets like he the gets shitty the radio. He gets a shitty radio tra- uh, receiver that's tuned to the frequency, and that's it. Well, he also gets the ability to perform inner monologues. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. A lot, like more than anyone else can. <laughs> it's it's almost like like Sherlock in the movies and the Robert Downey Jr. movies. How he's, uh, you know, thinking so quickly. It's like he's having this really long analysis. It's that, except it's just talking about things that have already happened, and it's not happening really quickly. It's happening in real time. He's just thinking. He's got the power of thinking, (laughs) which Christian Slater in this movie doesn't sell. Well, well, that's the thing, because, you know, it's it's really hard to buy Christian Slater thinking. Because you see the movies and you see the projects. And that that works in any context, by the way. It's hard for me to buy Christian Slater, comma, thinking. So Hodgins is seen in a different lab somewhere, and this is first shown from the perspective of some creature in a little prison cell thing. And Hodgins... He's perfectly okay, by the way. I don't want to... Like, like, I don't want to like, pick on Christian no. Slater too much. He's no. not terrible. No, no, he's, he's fine. Just, like, he's just... He's, like the Ruby Tuesday of actors. Yeah, he's just there. Yeah. There are, like, I like him in um, Archer. They have a character that is basically based on Christian Slater as a shitty CIA drug runner. Yeah. Well, again, that works. Yeah, exactly. It's a... like Christian Slater works in, as I say, in the right role, which is mainly just anything that is in his really, really tiny wheelhouse that would, like, you'd have to, like, break off a hamster's legs to get it in that wheel. But he's got a wheelhouse. If you need a slightly unpleasant individual, but just slightly, not like... You just. Just lightly odious. It's not, it's, it's not even his fault because she can tell he, you know, he's he's doing everything he can to be charming. Oh yeah, I think you see, he he seems like a perfectly charming young man. It's just when you get him in front of a camera and you tell him to act, I I I I feel like he's like leering, like he's gonna make some sort of unwanted pass at me. You know, I know we said like, we were the gonna screen, sp- like like the ring. I know we said we weren't gonna spend a lot of time bagging on Christian Slater. <laughs> That is kind of what we're doing. <laughs> let's let's carry on with the film because we really don't need to dedicate no. too much time to this one. Not not like usual. No. Um. So Fish and Slater gets. Oh wait, no. I'm sorry. Hudgens withdraws. He draws something, which we're guessing is blood from the creature that we saw through the perspective of, and then yeah. he takes that and injects himself with it. So okay. Sure. 
Sure. Sure. All right. No, that's fine. Prometheus had its questionable moments too. No, yeah, I just don't. You know, no. I mean, this this is probably valuable, useful in some way, but it's never properly addressed in any significant fashion anywhere else in no. the film. So it's just there. Um, Fish and Slater get some info from. It's the, the Christian Slater of plot points. <laughs> Christian Slater gets this all the uh, information that the Bureau has on these creatures, uh, which they call Xenos, super original. Um, it doesn't, isn't that what someone says? Yeah. I think it's... Um, catchy. It Christian, Christian Slater, Slater calls it catchy. catchy. Yeah. Like we call them Xenos. Catchy. They started appearing in urban areas two years ago. They're vulnerable to certain light waves and to gold, which inhibits their ability to disrupt electricity, which is why they make all the lights flash. But they don't work on flashlights because their effectiveness is based on the distance between a power source and the object it's powering. What? Yeah. Like, what well, you could have come... Like, Gremlins just had light and left it at that, mate. Um... Gremlins kept it simple. Well, they, and you're not a man who should strive over beyond simple. Well, they have to have this MacGuffin for why some electronics can continue to function in their presence. So that's what this is. Um, I just, they didn't even need to get, like, like. But they, they didn't, didn't have to that. do just that because the movie's so shit. Yeah. Um, that's what the xenomorphs did. I'm sorry it's not as clever, but you know what? It was effective. Fish also gives... And they were goddamn animals. Uh, Fish is also apparently Q and gives Carnby a bunch of devices, uh, you know, a thing that detects the things and a flashlight that projects the right kind of light and some... Yeah, I was, like, I was looking at all this and I'm like, why are you helping this one random man when you all seem to have this locked down pretty tight? You already know what everything is. Well, they're, you know, they're... He's just a bum. They're buddies. You know, they go way back because, you know... Christian Slater used to work there. So I know that, yeah. but even so, it's like it's like Carnby's intruding on something he has no business being well, part that's of. That's absolutely like he, the case. Yes, it's, he's not qualified. No, he no longer works there, and and that was actually brought up by Stephen Dorff in the earlier confrontation. Yeah. That you know, like, like you no longer work here. This shit is classified. Yeah, and and we're supposed to buy that Deacon Frost is being unreasonable in this scene, and and he's not. No. Like this is not Campy's business. He doesn't know what's going on. He's had to be filled in, and he doesn't have the same breadth of experience with these creatures, with the artifact, with the history that everyone else in the room has. Well, he doesn't have the experience with the creatures. He only has the experience with the artifacts, and and even then, like. They... Hand him over and fuck off. Let the people with the proper guns and the proper well, that, equipment that and was... the funding do the dangerous shit. Well, that shit. was why he left in the first place. He left because yeah. he'd get the artifacts and just hand them over and they'd be locked away and he wouldn't get to research them and find out his truth. I think that changes when monsters are involved, Yeah, Christian. seriously. Get a grip, Christian. Sort it fucking out, slates. <laughs> um, oh, and he gets fancy light bullets. Because uh, light bullets. Yeah. Um, returning home, Slater scans his apartment for monsters and gives us some more voiceover because it's been a while. Explaining that the Pinkerton dude had been after the artifact and the monsters are after the artifact and it stands to reason that the missing people are somehow connected. It is completely unnecessary voiceover. Um, 
then Stephen Dorff confronts Fish about Fish talking to Slater and threatens to fire him if he doesn't knock it the fuck off, which, duh, just doing his job. Uh, yep. And he demands to know... Ask him whose side he's on. He demands to know what Fish knows about Christian Slater. Uh, we've covered a lot of that already. Um, yeah. Tara Reed shows up in <laughs> Christian Slater's pad <laughs> with uh, some other Abkhani artifacts that she's got. And then she climbs into bed with him, strokes yep. his scars, and they're suddenly having sex. Suddenly having, like, the room-style sex. Like, to the R&B and everything. Oh, God, yeah, it is the worst the R&B music. pop music. She, she doesn't expose her breasts for our pleasure, of course. Nope. Um, she's she... wearing a bra. It's, it's tasteful. <laughs> um, but the whole scene comes out of nowhere. Yep. Just as, as I imagine Christian Slater did that day. So, now Fish is sitting at home looking at some files. And his wife goes to answer the door, but then she doesn't come back from answering the door. So Fish gets up and walks through his home and finds her on the floor. And then he's attacked by Hudgens, who puts a centipede down his throat. Yes. Then we cut back, don't we? We cut back to post-coitus. Yes, we do. Uh, And and this is the second out of the two times in this movie that I was genuinely delighted. I was laughing to the point of tears at this scene. It's a magical moment. Because Tara Reid is doing her hair. Yeah. Very clearly signifying that this is still the same night they've just, you know, had sex, they've made love, they've, um, you know, stuck a wee-wee in a, in a thing thing, right? They've done... Yep. He put it in, right? And he put out a little bit, but he kept it in mostly. And he put it back in, and he did that for a long time and until he climaxed. Um, and anyway, right, so they've done all that. But I was laughing at just how little that came across in this scene. Just ha- like you couldn't get two people in a room and have it look less like they've just had sex. And like, yeah, no, it's not just the fact that both of them are pristine. Like she's doing her hair, but it's still like it's done. She's just tying it a bit. Right. It's done. They both look pristine. They're both clothed. Uh, they're not looking sweaty in or anything. It's not just how they look, though. It's how they're talking because they are immediately back onto artifacts and plots and looking at computers like nothing happened. And and the act, like the the act of putting, like this scene where she's putting her hair up, right? I can I can hear Uva Bowl's direction in my ear saying, "Okay, now you're going to put your hair up." Because this is to symbolize that now you have finished with the intimacy and the personal emotional aspect and returning to your intellectual science-driven perspective. And it's that was brilliant. It's so fucking forced and awful. You did more acting in that <laughs> that sentence than Tara Reid does in this entire film. Uh so yeah, Tara Reid is Tara Reid's in like an actual performance. Yeah, she can act with experience. Yeah. In this movie, like I thought until until like I remembered she was Tara Reid, and I was like, oh no no, I know who Tara Reid is. Like initially, I thought it was some like failed again daytime soap actress wannabe kind of thing. Like like they brought in an intern to do some line reading. Like it's. 
it's incredible how bad she is in this. Well, and it's... she's an actual experienced performer. I think we said this last time with uh, In the Name of the King, a Dungeon Siege tale with Ron Perlman. Yep. Uva Boll has this immense talent at sucking talent out of others. <laughs> he can turn anyone into someone bland and unrecognisable, which is like the only... The only superpower the real Christian Slater has is he's kind of untouchable in that regard. Uberball couldn't really diminish his performance at all. He was 100% Slato. So they, uh, Tara and Slater. I don't hate him. No. I've got no reason to be doing this. They, they put the pieces of artifacts together into a shape, and then they use the computer to find a location based on the symbol positions on the shape and constellations to you know, and, and find out that this area that it maps out is near where they are. How convenient. And all of that is sexier than the sexy. Pretty hot. Yeah, pretty hot. Yeah. Got me off. Made me bust a nut. And then the lights start flickering. So Slater pulls out his detective thing, or his detector thing, gives Tara a gun, and he finds his friend John. Hey, John. Uh, so that, was, that was the first guy he was looking for, and John attacks him, so Slater shoots and kills him. Yeah. Oh, God, I love the exchange as well. Yeah. With, um, I think, like, like again, very dark place where it's like, um, like, I knew him, but I shot him. He was one of them. And then Tara immediately, no fucking, like, break, no, no pause, just, um, something like, then you had no choice. They instantly had to shoot him. He was one of them. <laughs> then he had no choice. Yep. And then straight on with the rest of it. It is such it is such a dark place moment. It's incredible. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So then other sleepers arrive and they get fought off before one of the creatures chases them a bit. And then Slater gets to his fancy gun with the fancy bullets and uses that to kill the creature. And then suddenly... Because he a fancy man! Suddenly, the worst ever strobe light firefight happens. Yeah. Like, the, the bureau people show up, and it's just flickery lights and dark backgrounds. For like a minute, minute and a half. It's terrible. Well, you know, why, why have concerts? And after that, Stephen Dorff arrives on the scene, and there's a brief standoff with Slater where Dorff wants to capture him because he's got one of the things in him. And Slater's all, dude, I'm obviously not a mindless killing thing, before they're interrupted by more of the sleepers. And so then when, you know, Slater saves Christian, or Slater, Slater saves Stephen Dorff from one of the sleepers, it's to prove his earlier point that I'm not one of them. Yay. Hooray! All right, I'm making a note, put in a gap. I'm going to urinate real quick because this is... Right. And we, we're not too far from it.
All right. So lots of unremarkable zombie-type fighting happens. And once the threat is eliminated by the soldiers, they're ordered to relocate to an abandoned gold mine where multiple signatures of Xenos have been detected. <laughs> Steven Dorf, having now come around that, uh, that Christian Slater's you know, not a threat, uh, he just, like, reveals everything. Says that Hudgens and Fish have both gone missing and that he's going to take uh, Slater and Tara Reed with them to this mine. And on their way there, he... On their way there, Christian Slater does a voiceover where he says he told me everything. <laughs> he told me that we had to... <laughs> well, and he does on the flight over Stephen Dorp in voiceover. This is, you know, him's voiceover narration bit. Uh, that's, you know, expository. Everybody gets a turn, I guess. Um, he explains that the mine had been closed 22 years earlier after an accident killed some miners. And that Bureau 713 investigated it, but found no supernatural cause. But funnily enough, the two lead investigators were Hudgens and Pinkerton, the guy that, you know, he killed earlier in the movie. Oh, no. So they head into the mine, because Carnby senses that that's where they need to go. Never mind all of the technology that they have at their disposal that's already confirmed this. And we're treated to a full 60 seconds of soldiers establishing a perimeter. Except for what's probably a plot crucial generator that takes a really long time to get online. Uh, Slater, Dorf, and Reed continue into the mine with a contingent of the 713 soldiers, and they find a dead end, and then they find another dead end. But Carnby knows that there's something they're missing, and he notices an archway with our Abkhani symbols on it. And then a soldier finds something in the dust, which turns out to be a trapdoor over a punji pit that kills him. And Garby's like, hey, we need to go down that hole. <laughs> so Hudgens then, just like somewhere in the darkness, sends a horde of creatures to fight the soldiers. And the possessed fish reaches the generator and blows it up. Oh my god, it was plot critical. Making the perimeter vulnerable. Dun, dun, dun. And after a very long time of boring build up to combat like it's not even like drama heightening suspense it's just time consuming uh the worst shooting starts happening because you can actually see it a lot better in this second larger uh combat sequence so you know like the the background darkness that i complained about in the strobe lights worked so much to the advantage of the other sequence because you couldn't notice that was the point of it yeah you couldn't notice as easily that they only had one uh special effect firing pattern per gun and so every time that gun fires it has the same explosive flare the same light you know uh fire discharge yeah. It, it, is, it is like something out of the 1960s. It is absolutely amazing. It, yeah, he probably should have kept with the, the, the darkness and the, the flashes, really. I mean, it, it is... If we're being honest. It is some of the most embarrassingly bad-looking shooting shit I've seen ever. Or it would be if Uva Bulba capable of embarrassment. Well, yeah. 
Unfortunately, we're the ones that have to like, like, like we're all his Jesus Christ of shame. <laughs> we all take it upon ourselves for one man. We're, we are the portrait of Uva Ball. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> so they, uh, the perimeter soldiers are getting their asses kicked by the creatures and they like even take out an yeah. assault helicopter. And... Yeah, they can all lick my tits. And then Slater and crew descend down the hole and uh, a trap is triggered conveniently once, you know, all of the core characters plus one other soldier who can be allowed to be killed by the trap uh, make it into the chamber below. The trap's but triggered. That's the spiky one, right? Well, yeah, there were spikes at the bottom and they climbed out of the bottom of it and then uh, like a a thing came and sealed it in behind that fell on one of them and broke their leg. Yeah, they really hated that guy. Well, no, n- but I loved that because one one dude falls, and then it cuts to to him lying with spikes through him, and it's such an awkward fucking cut. It's it's again would be embarrassing if if not for Uberball's involvement. And so they have this wounded soldier that they're tending to while they're sort of looking around and. Cardby thinks that they're in the wrong place. And it was just his suggestion that they go down there. Like, he just said that they needed to go down there. And now that he's down there, he's like, this isn't the right place. What the fuck, Slater? Get it together. Yeah. Slater, what you doing? You fucking idiot. And then Get Tara out. Reed. Get out of here. Tara Reed finds a cryptic warning in Abkani's symbols that says... If you arrive here alive, you're already dead. That's a bit late for that kind of warning. Don't, how valuable is that? Wouldn't you post that yep. outside the entrance to this place? Plus, it was really poorly written. I think you actually made it catchier than it was. It was something like, if you are eating this and you are still alive, know that you are already dead. Like, it was way more long-winded than it had to be when it could have been something way more poetic. Yeah, th- yeah there were a couple of yeah necessary words in there. You're right. Um, and then a big insecty thing burrows through the sand on the floor and attacks the injured soldier, ultimately killing her. Uh, and they, they do some, you know, like, oh, where's the thing? Where's the thing? And then it's basically like unceremoniously dead and disappears. And that's never addressed again. <laughs> like, oh, it's fine now. Yeah, get rid of that. Move on. Another lone soldier we don't have any connection to is killed. And his body is found by another female soldier who then reports to the commander who commands her to go to high ground while he remains in his position. And then she wanders off. And uh, it, uh, it, it's worth noting that what's happening right now with Slater and his people and what I'm describing about this soldier, these th- two things are happening simultaneously. This is Uva Bull doing his fucking stupid i'm gonna cut back and forth between two events as if they're in real time even though one of these events has no value whatsoever like these characters these other random soldiers that we've barely been introduced to and and are of no consequence whatsoever just fodder yeah they're they are given the same gravity as what's going on with our principles just so that Uberbol can do that one trick he thinks he's good at. And he's not. It's terrible. But what, what happens yeah. is she wanders off. The commander kills one creature before then forgetting that he was going to stay where he was and follows on to where she went. And then he finds her with her head split down the middle in one of the few not horrendously bad-looking practical effects in this movie. Um, and then he gets killed himself off-screen because you got to keep that budget tight. 
Oh yeah. Twenty million dollars, people. Uh, well, you know, there's some pockets that that money's earmarked for. Come on. Slater's group finds a concrete wall down in this pit that's in good condition, suggesting someone's been up to something here more recently than 22 years ago. And they blow it up. And on the other side, they find a, lo- a laboratory with cots and all sorts of equipment. And Stephen Dorff finds a name a nameplate with uh, Christian Slater's name on it on one of the cots, which also, for some reason, have all of these technical drawings of the creatures etched into their surface. <laughs> and this allows uh, Christian Slater... It's just like Aliens versus Predator all over again. allows Christian Slater to conclude that 713 was behind the entire implanting people thing. Which just, like, that drives Stephen Dorff right over the edge. I mean, you don't... He's, he's fucking annoyed. You don't betray Stephen Dorff. Right. Always, oh, uh, he's... I tell you what, he is fit to burst. And Stephen Dorff, I mean, Stephen Dorff's a stand-up dude, right? He's a guy who does his job, you know, and understands the importance of what he's doing, and he cares about it, right? And if they just come to him and said, hey, listen, look. Okay, so... 20 years ago, you know, like when this whole outbreak thing started happening, they just come to him and like 20 years ago, we kind of did this stupid experiment. He'd have been like, you know what? Cool. We're going to deal with this situation. I'm glad you came to me. That's it. Like, dude, we blew it. Can we like just get this fixed? You're a professional. You know what we do. Like, get it. Get it next. Yeah. And and so this like this would have been an issue. He had gone and fixed it. But again, like we... Things needed to happen a certain way, so they happen. <laughs> Behind a big metal door, they find a strange carving that uh, Christian Slater's now completed artifact conveniently fits into, which means it's a key. Those fucking idiots. Uh, Stephen Dorff wants him to open it, as they have no other known means of escape from this place. And Tara Reed literally says, some doors are meant to stay shut. <laughs> oh, the writing that they, the dialogue they give her to work with, it's just, I mean. Yeah, again, like, like they, they do such a good job of, of ruining <laughs> everything about her. Of course, Christian Slater decides to open the door, saying he should trust the Abkhani. By what metric? Like, what evidence have we been given? They disappeared. They meddled in forces and disappeared, and you know this. the fuck's wrong with you? Get it together. <sighs> All of you. All of you. Buck your ideas up. Sort your lives out. But they're interrupted by Hudgens, who has a gun that he's picked up from one of the many dead soldiers. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember this fantastic scene. And he blames Christian Slater for the failure and subsequent shutting down of his research and then demands the artifact so he can open the door. Uh, Tara Reed hands it over once, you know, they realize that they're kind of fucked. And he... Hey, 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 hey. More like Tara reading her lines badly. <laughs> it's still funny. Fuck yeah, go in for the double dip. I don't give a fuck. Still better than Uvable. Oh, yeah. Um... Hudgens reveals that, hey, you know, there's still a piece missing from this. You know, the one that I've got. Oh, yeah, that's right. I actually had forgotten that he had that thing. (laughs) And with the key completed, he sticks it in the lock. Stephen Dorff tries to stop him by throwing a knife in his chest, but he's too late. 
and the door opens to reveal a massive cavern on the other side with pillars that appear to have the texture of, of ancient tree roots and countless numbers of xenos. Uh, unable to close the special door now because it's one of those doors that slides up into the wall and there's like no access panel because the lock was literally on the door. That's not great door design, okay? No, you know, that's what you get for trusting Abkani craftsmanship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they instead close the metal gate. Outside the mine, everyone's dead. We knew this. But the movie needed to show us this again. Yes, it did. Uh, the remaining trio of heroes find a way to the surface, and Steven Dorff tries to trigger a bomb that he set, but I don't recall him... I don't recall being showed him setting up the bomb. But whatever, that's fine. Not necessary. Lots of... Lots of non-necessary things in this. Why would you show the bomb being put in place? Why would you do that? <sighs> I, I, I can't even... I can't think of a reason why I can't even that. with words. I just... So he decides to go back to the gateway so that he can trigger the bomb himself. And then, and then he sets a five-second timer for it. Which I can't. Let me... Yeah, okay, he did that. I, you want to... Sure, sure, Ava. You want to you wanna, you wanna make sure it works. Sure. But maybe give yourself ten. Because he's going to spend at least two of those seconds throwing this heavy-ass duffel bag back through the gate. I mean, basically, you want to check to see if your plan is worse than something Wiley Coyote's <laughs> ever done. If it is, don't do it. Wiley Coyote plans ahead more than that. Christian Slater and Tara Reed emerge from below the earth through a basement door that's outside the orphanage. Yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> sure. They do. They do that. That actually happened. knows a lot about everything. Like, I, that is the sort of thing that you would joke about doing. That this does. This actually did that. And they go inside to find the nun uh, as the only person in the orphanage. And she's laying dead in a pool of blood. We had to wrap up that plot thread for whatever reason. I don't know why. Yeah. They return to the city, which was evacuated at some point. Oh, yeah. It lets us know in text that it's been evacuated for no reason. <laughs> like, there's no reason for us to know this because, like, I saw that and my heart sunk a bit because I'm like, how much of this movie is left? If they're telling us this, like, does that mean something else is happening? And no, nothing else really no does <laughs> and I, no the movie just sort of stops much much like the bomb much like not showing us the bomb being set before showing us that the bomb couldn't be triggered remotely they sh- they show us that the cities and i did they i think they wanted this to be like the emerging into oh my god what happened sense you know that that eerie sense of wandering through an empty city but that doesn't yeah. work if you tell us in text that it was evacuated yeah and if you're gonna tell us in text that it was evacuated show us having show show us a scene of someone ordering something. the evacuation of the city something <laughs> 
don't do a text thing like that. Don't you use those to introduce scenes where events are about to unfold, or to introduce the entire plot of your movie before the movie starts. You don't tell us information about a location and where it is and what's happened to it, like right before the credits. Fuck this film. Uh, we're showed that Bureau 713 is also empty because no, that not. matters, I guess. And in a in one final bit of voiceover, because this is oh, God, this yeah. is important. Well, we need a bit this more. This is important because we need we need to give Edward Carnby an opportunity to sort of lay some metaphorical, some spiritual truth on us, right? <laughs> and he states that the gate is closed. But points out that the, that the Abkhani disappeared after they closed the gate. And maybe that's what's about to happen to humanity. It's, whew, think about it. It's a real thinker, guys. Some yeah, real, real deep shit. It, it asks that, 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 that question we've always asked, like, what will happen if the Abkhani, like, <laughs> do a door? I've never wanted to be done talking about something more yeah. than this, I don't think. Uh, and that includes, like, deeply personal shit. Yeah, there's a uh, something rushes at Christian Slater and Tara Reid is seen from the oh, thing's that's perspective. It, that's how it, yeah, yeah, they do the fucking Evil Dead thing of the camera rushing towards Christian Slater and Tara Reid to end. And, as and if, they look like, all freaked out, and then there's credits. Well, they don't. They, yeah, no, Christian well. Slater looks mildly concerned. <laughs> right, yeah. Which like, is uh, the huh? best he can get. It's like... Huh? <laughs> Why is Uber Bowl running at us with a handicap? <laughs> I like to and think the that credits. that's the very first thing that was shot. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're Just seeing to give you an idea the, of the kind of crazy wacky guy I am. What what you're actually seeing there isn't acting. It's the realization yeah. of what they've gotten themselves into. Yes. Yes. It, they, only now have they truly understood the horror. There's Lovecraft for you. Right. I'm not even bothering with the usual sign out because I just want to be done. Um, well, so no, no plinkly piano. I know exactly what we're going to do this night next time because I looked it up ahead of time and chose without consulting you, which is rude. That, that, by all means. Uh, but, but you have the power of veto. In summary, in, in summary I will point I, I did want to bring up one thing that I saw about this. Yeah, sure, sure. Which is I was on Amazon for whatever reason and I was looking at the store page for the sequel to this movie because there's another one of these. Oh, good. And I found, I found an Amazon review, and uh, I, I think I, I did share this with you, but um, let me see if I can bring it up. Where was oh? Now, now this is great radio, right here. What I'm doing. Oh yeah, this yeah, is yeah. This is fantastic. high high quality shit. As I try to bring yeah. up. I mean, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna do some correspondence. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Some emails. Get get that get that. Yeah, that's. That'd be good. Well, okay, so there was a um, a review, and I'll just read the first line from that uh, review. Yeah, please. That uh, that I found. It says, "Oh wait, no, that's a review of Fish Shark Marketing, which is a very fine website or a very fine podcast that we do." See, I'm doing the wrap up already. Yeah, okay. Except for the same title, what has this movie to do with the original masterpiece, Alone in the Dark? 
Yeah, that's uh, one thing that's going to upset a lot of people. It certainly upset me. Is I, uh, I, I went to the Amazon store page for the original movie, and it's got a lot of positive reviews. A lot of, and they weren't sarcastic. I. D- wow. I'm starting to think this might be a sign that maybe the door's about to close on us. <laughs> so what are we doing next time, Jim? Well, I was... Like, as I said, like I've got nothing to say about this yeah. film. Nothing. Because it's shit. It was a blank. Yeah. It was just pointless. I wasted... Uh, uh, I wasted 90 minutes. I think... I, I just wasted time. It is. It, it has so many of the Uva Bowl things in it. And so it was entertaining to me from the perspective of... It was like playing Uva Bowl Bingo, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can play that game of, of following what he's... His 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 own little quirks and tropes and awfulness. But this, you're right. This is as these things go. It, it is really disposable. Like, it, yeah, yeah. Like I I I do think it might be the worst Uberball film I've seen to date, and and that's not in a way that that is in any way supposed to be positive, ironically or not. I mean, it it commits that cardinal sin of being boring. Yeah. Like it's not just a bad Uberball film. It's not even got the entertainment factor of of some of his other films. Like I could at least find things to be funny about with uh, "In the Name of the King." There's some ludicrousness there to deal with. Yep. Most of this was utter trash, apart from those two scenes, and a lot of that I was doing the work to make it funny. And I I so, I, I liked the incredibly overwrought dialogue exchange with the um with the security guard. I adored that. That was that was the best worst thing in this movie for me, uh, with right. with a, sec- a close runner up being her tying up the hair. Okay, yeah. Well, the tying up the hair for me and the the, the fire fight with the with the mute with the the, the music going mm-hmm. was good. Um, well, I say good, you know. I mean, the first was, introduction was... of Bureau th- Seven Thirteen in action. Yeah, Bureau Seven Thirteen. Boop, boop, boop. Um, but that's yeah. it. Anyway, anyway, disappointed. I, I want to see a good horror film. I, I've decided I, I, I want to undo this because we like to vary. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do... Typically, we won't do the same theme again. But I want to double dip. I want to go back in. And so I've decided the best thing we can do is watch House of the Dead 2. Ooh. Wow. You're... This is... This is what we in the gambling profession call a high roller. Match. Yeah, yeah, that is that is doubling down. You know what? I am in. Did he direct this one too? I don't think so. Well, that's. I don't think so. I think Sega itself was more act, more actively involved in this. Um, it's it's not. It didn't get a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. So so we are really. This one's going to be a thing. Wow. Yeah. All right. So this could this could go any which way. Oh. So oh I, God. I, this was a sci-fi channel this. movie. Well, that already. Now it doesn't go any which way. Now it goes in it one goes of what? several distinct ways. A Lionsgate distributed sci-fi channel premiered. Ooh. Hello. Ooh. All right. All right, we'll be back with that one next episode. Um, I, I'm imagining it will at least give us more to, to work with than this one did. Um, 
you can catch more of us podcasting together at Fist Shark Marketing. Um, we already briefly mentioned it. Fistshark.com. Fist Shark Marketing. Uh, we will be working together on a video project soon. Yes. Um, I feel confident enough to just briefly mention that. Uh, we're just getting some stuff out of the way with, with Justin, my, um, my art director, and then he's going to get us working on that. Uh, so there's going to be some interesting content coming up soon. Um, the, uh, the death of green light as a thing uh, is going to free me up, uh, and I'm going to do some interesting things with that time. So that's going to be good. Yeah. And other than that, we'll see you in two weeks' time with another one of these for House of the Dead 2. Bye. Bye. Right. Good stuff.